You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Well, you could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. And we're in a series this month called the, the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Today we're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Today we are talking about the gift of tongues. And that's why if you look at the skillet, there's a picture of a cat sticking out the tongue. <laughs> I, don't, I don't pick out these pictures. Patrick is to blame back there. <laughs> Anyways, it's pretty cool. First uh, Corinthians 14 is a passage about tongues. And so I would highly encourage you, I would make you, if I was sitting at your table, I'd like forcefully make you turn to First Corinthians 14. But I'm not sitting with you and I won't hurt you or anything. So turn to First Corinthians 14 because I want you to see it with your own eyes. See the Bible. We do provide Bibles on the tables and we think it's important for, for you to see it with your own eyes in the Bible. Know where it's at. Highlight, underline um, things that are that are awesome in the Bible. And this is a pretty cool passage about the gift of tongues. And so I'm going to read it. 1 Corinthians 14 says, Follow the way of love. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. And then it talks about prophecy for a little bit. So I want you to skip down to verse 13. And he he picks up talking about tongues again. He says, For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. Verse 14, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you are praising God with your spirit, how can one who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? Did you get that? It's, I mean, there, we'll go over this passage in a minute. There's a lot here. Verse 17, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Let's pray. God, we do thank you right now for, for the blessings you've given us as the Mill Sunday School that we can, we can share a meal together, we can come and learn and praise you. God, as we do talk about the gift of tongues, the gift of the Holy Spirit, um, God, I, I pray that you will take away c- confusion and you will give us understanding. You will, you will allow us to, to eagerly desire, as the Bible says, the gifts of the Spirit. And so, God, we come to you this morning. We say to you, Jesus, open our minds and hearts so that we can understand you. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. I want to I open with a story that really, it doesn't have too much to do with the gift of tongues, really anything to do with the gift of tongues, but it has a lot to do with the bigger point of today, which is, <coughs> excuse me, thank you. It was, it was a kind of a, it wasn't a sneeze, I don't know what that was. Apologize for those of you listening via podcast. Anyways, uh, tongues seems like a really big deal, and uh, sometimes it is, but I want to open with this bigger, I, bigger idea, this story about how God doesn't have to work in equations, how God doesn't have to work in these formulas when God does his work. And um, I, I used to, actually the first Bible study that I ever led was uh, when I used to live in Utah. This was about 10 years ago, my very first Bible study. And every single week, it was like the most exciting thing for me to do. I was so excited. Every single week, I think God was really just preparing me to be a pastor. That's where I fell in love with leading in the church and, and this idea that maybe someday I would be a pastor. This was 10 years ago. And so I was leading this Bible study. It's about 10 people. We'd get together. I, I played guitar. and We'd do some worship songs, kind of very acoustic wasn't very good, I'm sure, but at, at the time it was just awesome, and it was really good, uh, and it was spiritually it was awesome. We, and then we'd have some snacks, and then we'd open up the Bible, and we'd just start going line by line and studying it. It was just an awesome, really cool time in my life. It was this college Bible study that I got to lead, and um, <clears throat> there was this one guy that would come, and he was just a little rough around the edges, and I think during, like, we'd do worship, and then we'd have, like, some snacks, and he'd always go outside and around the corner. I'm not sure what he was doing. He was probably smoking a cigarette, which is fine. He was coming to the Bible study. That's cool. And he was very open with like where he was at and uh, what he was feeling. And he, he liked meeting with me. I, I guess he kind of considered me his, his small group leader, his pastor. And so maybe once a month we would have coffee together. And he always had this question. He said, how do I know that I'm saved? You know, how do I know that I am saved? And I'm, I just, how do I know? And I remember giving him advice that I think 
um, looking back, I, I don't think it was the best advice because he, um, he was really rough around the edges as far as his life went. He was um, starting a, his music career. He was a really talented singer, really talented dancer. He put out a CD. Uh, the best way to describe it is he was kind of like a one-man boy band. <laughs> but to his credit, he was, really, he was honestly really good. And uh, get this, so 10 years ago, have you guys ever heard of Britney Spears? Ten years ago, she was really big. <laughs> and, and Britney Spears came to Salt Lake City. He was the opening band for Britney Spears. So pretty cool. Uh, he was doing really good musically. And he still came to this Bible study when he could. And he traveled a lot. And he, he told me, he was just very honest about where he was. He said, uh, I, I would go to these parties and there'd be alcohol and he'd give in. He, he'd, you know, he'd try to get connected and do networking and meet other dancers. And, and, and there was sometimes in the back room where the important meetings happened and sometimes there was drugs back there. And he said that was very tempting. And he said that the promiscuous lifestyle of dancers and singers, entertainers, is uh, very promiscuous sexually. And so he, he stumbled and he fell in areas of sin. And he was just meeting with me maybe once a month asking, how do I know that I'm saved? And I gave him this advice, which I don't think is good advice looking back now, but this was 10 years ago, um, and it was just some advice that I gave him. Because here's the advice. I, I kind of labeled, laid it all out in an equation. I said, um, do you, did you say the sinner's prayer? When the sinner's prayer is, you know, I confess my sins to God, um, Jesus, come into your heart, into my heart. is basically the sinner's prayer. I said, did you pray that prayer? And he said, yes, I prayed that prayer. And I said, do you remember getting water baptized? And he said, yeah, I remember getting water baptized. And at our church back then, they'd give you like a little baptism certificate saying you got baptized and the date, and it's pretty cool. And, and I, I said, did you remember getting your certificate? And he said, yes. And so I said, this was my advice. How do you know you're saved? I said, um, well, every time you think you're not saved, pull out that certificate and look at it and just be reminded that you are saved. Now, I think if I were to go back, you know, 10 years, I don't think I would have given, I know that for sure that I wouldn't give the same advice. I would talk about repentance. I would talk about, you know, how your heart is changed before God, and it's with your heart that's changed comes a new life and new birth, and the old is gone, new has come, and there's an assurance of salvation because you have a relationship with God himself, and your life has been changed. That's the assurance. I don't think I would have set it out in this equation. I think that was, I think honestly it was poor advice looking back. But I think that is a temptation, don't you think? For all of us as Christians, when we explain our faith uh, and do the spiritual stuff, we have a tendency to put things in an equation, in a formula that says, do this, this, and this, and then may, this will happen. And I think with the gift of tongues, and that's, what we're, that's where I'm going with this, we have a tendency to put it in an equation. Well, if you do this and this, and then maybe this and some of this, then you'll get the gift of tongues. And then, and then it'll be like this, this, and this. And we try to spell it all out and line it all up. And that's, that's something I kind of want to break today, that God does not have to work in formulas. And so uh, today we are talking about the gift of tongues. Um, so just if you're, <laughs> I always think like, if there's a new person here today, they're probably thinking, do they always pick the weirdest topics possible at Sunday school and then teach about them? Yeah, we do. <laughs> we're Bible nerds. That's what we do. Um, not always, but sometimes. We have Sundays like this, and we're going to get into the text and study the gift of tongues today. Uh, last week, we studied the difference between charismatic and non-charismatic. So if you are new, or if you missed last week, this week's sun Sunday school lesson kind of builds off of last week that we talked about what is charismatic beliefs, what is non-charismatic beliefs. What happens if you go to a church that's not charismatic? I would say that's cool. They're just different than a charismatic church. New Life Church is a charismatic church. Therefore, we're talking about the gift of tongues today. Next time, we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That's next week. And so, uh, let's see. If Before we get started, if you are newish to the Mill Sunday School, there's these cards on most of the tables. Get a card. If you fill it out, give it to that cool dude in the back wearing cool sunglasses. His name's Joel. He's really cool. And he will give you a CD of the Mill on Friday nights. It has some songs of our worship band and a welcome sermon for you. So that's your, your gift. If you, if you fill one of these out, we'd love to know more about you. And um, let's turn to in the notes that has the little kitty with the tongue on the cover that I did not pick out once again. Uh, the, the first note, the first topic is why does tongues, it's a question, why does tongues seem like such a big deal? And I think people often make tongues out to be a bigger deal than it is, the gift of tongues. 
Um, because I think tongues in a lot of ways separates Christians. You know, you, you either speak in tongues or you don't. And so there's division. Or you either believe in tongues or you don't. And it splits people and polarizes people over what they think about the gift of tongues. And I don't think it should be blown out to this big, huge issue. It's just one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the charismatic gifts. Um, like other gifts, you know, there's the gift of miracles. And it's pretty common around here, around any church, I, I believe, it to, for someone to talk about miracles. You know, just this week I heard of a car crash, which the car was really damaged. And, and, and people just talked, oh, it's, it's a miracle that their, their lives were spared. You know, it's a, it's a miracle that maybe angels were protecting them as they got into this car crash and they lived without any um, serious harm. We, we talk about miracles. It's very normative. When we go to hospitals, we, we pray over people that are sick. I saw it this morning. Someone was in here and they're sick and we prayed over them and we pray for miracles. That's pretty normal. Um, we, we pray for things, um, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We pray even, even like prophetic gifts. I think, you know, the, the, the term prophecy really, if you, if you really narrow it down, what does it mean? Well, prophecy is just knowing in the spiritual what could not have been known in the natural or the physical. So if someone says something like, oh, I feel like a calling to do this in my life. Well, you know, looking at that really from a biblical perspective and really defining prophecy loosely as knowing what you, knowing something spiritually, well, that's, that's prophecy, that's, that God is speaking to you, calling you to go this way. Um, or that way. And so we speak about all these gifts of the Holy Spirit, but as soon as it comes to the gift of tongues, it's like, hold up, that's weird, man. And it, it separates Christians. And I, I want to talk today about um, this, this gift of tongues that um, I, I first want to say that I get a lot of questions. Uh, people ask me, they usually frame it with like, Joe, you, you're a pastor, you, you know something about the Bible. And then they'll, they'll, they'll ask a question. And so I hear this question a lot. Do you have to speak in tongues in order to have the Holy Spirit? Or do you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved? Or do you have to speak in tongues in order to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? They'll ask these questions. And, and it, sometimes it bothers me because I'm like, where, where are you hearing that you need to speak in tongues in order to be saved? Where are you hearing that you need to speak in tongues in order to have the Holy Spirit live inside of you? And, and the, by the way, the answer to all those questions is no. You don't have to have the gift of tongues to be saved or to have the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> and so uh, I just hear those questions. So today I really want to clear up some of that, that confusion. And I, I have a verse for you. Uh, I'm going to read a lot of verses, by the way, today. And so some of them you'll be able to flip to. Some of them just write down. This is probably just a write-down verse, flip to later. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 says, Paul is asking a question. Are all apostles? And it's, it's like an emphatic, no, not all are apostles. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healings? And then this one, the big one for us today. Do all speak in tongues? And so... If, if someone says, oh, you have to speak in tongues to, to be a Christian, or you have to speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit, Paul is, is asking, do, are all prophets, are all miracles, do miraculous works, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues? No, you don't have to have the gifts of tongues. It's, it's, in, in a lot of passages, passages, it's considered the least of the gifts. Um, I had a friend that would jokingly say, although I don't think he was that joking, he'd always say, uh, the tongues is the least of the gifts, so you should at least have that one. <laughs> but I just, I mean, that's, I mean, it's supposed to be funny. It's silly. But you don't have to have the gift of tongues. For, for anything, you don't need it for salvation. You don't need it to prove that you have the Holy Spirit. Not all, I mean, this verse just clearly, not all speak in tongues. And so I want to kind of let the air out of the room real quick. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, there's probably lots of you in different boats. There's lots of you that maybe have been charismatic since you were a little baby, <laughs> speaking in tongues before he spoke in English. Just kidding. Um, there's many of you that, what I mean by that, many of you that have grown up in a charismatic church and have been, had the gift of tongues your whole life. And there's some of you in here that are like, this is brand new to me, or I've heard of this before, but I've never heard someone teach of it, on it before. And so what I'm going to ask you to do in a second, but I want to tell you why first, because it's not supposed to be something embarrassing or whatever. I want, I want, in a second, I want you to raise your hand if you have ever spoken in tongues, or if you would say you do have the gift of tongues, or if you would ha- have the prayer, a prayer language, however you want to define that, um, you'll, you'll raise your hand in a second. And the reason why I want you to do that is because um, there's lots of us in here that this is totally brand new. And I want two things to happen. If you're like, whoa, this stuff's new to me, I want you to first see 
Maybe there's someone next to you that raises their hand, and you can ask them later, oh, so what's your story? You know, tell me about your personal uh, prayer language, or tell me about your personal experience with speaking in tongues. And the second is to, is here's my bet. I'm not a gambling man, but here's what I bet. I bet that less than half of you are going to raise your hand. That means somewhat to about half to the majority have never spoken in tongues. That's my gamble, my wager. All right, so if you're comfortable, raise your hand if you speak in tongues or have ever spoken in tongues. I, th- I think my wager is about correct, about half or less. Thank you guys for doing that. And I hope to not, I hope that wasn't embarrassing at all because I don't think it should be. The gift of the Holy Spirit of tongues is just like another gift. It would have been the same if I would have said, how many of you have ever prophesied or had a prophecy given to you? That probably would have been less embarrassing, but in the same way, it it shouldn't be. It's just another gift of the Holy Spirit. And so um, I want to clear something else up too, that the gift of tongues is weird. You know, as we go back to this main point that I started today, why does the tongues gift of tongues seem like a big deal. And I think there's been a lot of abuses of the gift of tongues. People saying, oh, you have to have the gift of tongues to, to be a real Christian or something. That's silly. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow that out of the water in, in a second through, the, through some scriptures. Um, and people are saying, oh, if you don't have the gift of tongues, you're less than a Christian. And maybe no one would ever say that, but maybe some of you feel that. Oh, if I don't have the gift and this other person has the gift, then they must be a, a better Christian or something. And that's, that's not true at all either. And so we're going to blow that out of the water. Um, let's talk about, let me clear something up. When do you get the Holy Spirit? When do you get the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Well, first, uh, Ephesians 1.13. If you want to turn to this passage, you can. This, this is um, a passage that to me just proves you get the Holy Spirit when you believe. Period. You get the Holy Spirit, Spirit dwelling inside of you when you believe. In a minute, we're going to talk about something else, the gift of uh, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but I think that's something different because you get the Holy Spirit living inside of you when you believe. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you were included in Christ. Let me, let me start it over. First, first uh, Ephesians 1.13. You were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And listen to this very carefully. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. Comma. What is the seal? The promised Holy Spirit. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So to me, that says you get the Holy Spirit when you believed. And, and furthermore, um, Jesus says before he dies and then gets resurrected, he says, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And we all know that, oh, every, you know, we get the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. You know that story in Acts chapter 2? I'm sure it's familiar to a lot of you. Um, before Pentecost happens, did you know that something interesting happens in John chapter 20, verse 22? Um, Jesus dies, is then resurrected. He's meeting with the disciples in his resurrected body before he's, before he's ascended. And listen to this, before Pentecost happens. And it says that Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So you, I could argue from that verse that, you know, the, the disciples had the Holy Spirit inside of them even before the day of Pentecost. And the story is that tongues of fire descended and they spoke in tongues and people heard them in their own language. So that story is the story of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I would say that this, the disciples already had the Holy Spirit in them. They already received the Holy Spirit. So let me just clear this up. If you don't get anything else out of the Mill Sunday School this morning about the gift of tongues, just know for sure and, and tell this to other people that ever ask, you get the Holy Spirit when you believe period. And so let's, let's move on from that and talk about something called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, almost all charismatics would say that's something secondary to salvation. You already have the Holy Spirit inside of you, but it's, it's a gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's an empowering. It's, a, it's talked about in Acts as a pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This, this baptism, like Jesus, John baptized with water, but he says, one's coming after me. That's Jesus. Who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit? And so let's talk about that for a second. Aaron Stern uh, has an analogy that I think is pretty cool. He holds up a Nalgene bottle that's empty, and he has like a picture of water. And he says, you get the Holy Spirit when you get saved. And so he fills up the Nalgene bottle of water, the water representing the Holy Spirit. He screws on the top. He says, here is you, uh, the Holy Spirit dwelling and living inside of you. Clear enough. You get that when you're saved. And then he has this big bucket of water. and He, he puts the Nalgene into the bucket of water and says, this is something like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're, you are immersed and, and filled up. Um, you're already filled, though, so you're just, 
You're empowered with the Holy Spirit. Does that help anybody else? It, to me, it was like, uh, that helps me at least in analogy form. I mean, there's no analogy like that in the Bible. I don't think analogies were invented till later anyways. Um, <clears throat> but that's an analogy that, that says, okay, you already have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is something else. Um, and so here's the next point on, on, the, on, the, on the thing here, the skillet, is God doesn't have to work in formulas or equations. And, and here's what I mean by that. If, if you've been, you know, thinking about, oh, today Joe's going to talk about tongues in the middle of Sunday school, and you've been like, okay, he's going to tell me the steps I need to do, and then I'm going to get the gift of tongues. That's not at all what's going to happen today. I'm not going to tell you, you know, you need to do this, this, and a little bit of this, and then this, and then you'll have the gift of tongues quicker than you can say, should have bought a Honda, but I bought a Kia. Anybody with me on that joke? <laughs> Anyways, never mind. Uh, <laughs> God doesn't have to work in formulas. Uh, don't, I put a quote on the back of the skillet, and I promise you I only do this like once every two years, and that is I put my own quotes on the back of the skillet. So I want you, I'll, I'll show you this quote. I'll read it, and then maybe after Sunday school you could say, Joe, great quote that you put on the back of the skillet, and then I could just have my moment, you know? Let me have my moment. Uh, but this is, this, honestly, this quote is, hopefully helps you think about how God doesn't have to work in formulas. And the quote is this, Don't mistake how God has moved with how he must move. Don't assume that if God has worked this way before in your life or in someone else's life, that he has to work in the same kind of lined up equation or formula as he does in your own life. I had a friend uh, a while back that uh, was going to a very charismatic church and uh, at the end of, end of the, the night services, they would always have a time of prayer, which is, which is great. And sometimes at these times of prayer, uh, people would be praying for each other, and then the, the, someone would fall over. Has, has anyone ever seen that before? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird. I've seen it before, and it's like, whoa, what was that? I remember the first time I saw it, I was really freaked out. But someone explained it as, oh, they're slain in the Holy Spirit, and they're, they just totally surrendered, and then they kind of fell over, and th- then they're in the presence of God. And my friend who I'm talking about, went to one of these churches and he was like fascinated by it. He said, I really want to be slain in the spirit. I really want to fall over. And, and so he prayed for weeks and he kept going to church services wanting to, to be slain in the spirit. And he fat, one day he said, you know, tonight better be the night. And so he, he prayed all day. He fasted. He read scripture. Um, he just did a devotion all day long, went to the church service. And sure enough, he got prayed for and he, he was slain in the spirit. And he, he talks about, I've never personally been slain in the spirit. Maybe some of you have, but he talked about it as something I could not control it. So, you know, I just kind of passed out and it was awesome. And he said, I felt the presence of God. It was pretty cool. And then, so that was great for him. But then I think here's what happened. He mistaked how God moved in his life with how God must move. And so he, he correlated these things like, okay, if I spend all day in prayer, and if I have a great devotion that day, then when I go to church, God is going to give me the slain in the spirit gift or whatever. I don't know. It's, I don't know. Anyways, uh, and so in his mind, he's like, if I'm having a good day and a good prayer time, then I'll be slain in the spirit. And so like he had a couple weeks more where he was slain in the spirit, and then a week came where he wasn't slain in the spirit. And he was telling me, oh, I must not have prayed hard enough that day. Or I must have not fasted good enough or something. And I, I just told him, you know, God works differently in different ways. And I kind of said this quote, although I didn't have it in a quote format back then. But you know, I kind of said, don't mistake how God moved in your life in the past with how he has to move. If you're having a good prayer time, maybe there's other gifts of the Holy Spirit not being slain in spirit and falling over. I mean, out of all the gifts, I mean, that's just weird. Why not the gift of love or the God's presence or whatever? Anyways, hopefully that story helps to illustrate. But don't make a mistake of, of saying, uh, God must move like this because he has moved like this in the past. And um, I want to go through some scriptures right now. I want to, uh, one, two, three, four, five. I want to go through five stories in the book of Acts. And these are probably more uh, well, we'll see. These are five different examples of the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And for, I can't find any more. These are the five baptism of the Holy Spirit um, passages that I can find. If you could find another one, show it to me and that would be fascinating because I've scoured the book of Acts and these are the five that I can find. And the first one is the one that I just referred to. And so if you want, you could turn to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 3. This is the story of Pentecost. This is the story of 
the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'll, I'll just read it, actually. So turn to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 3. It says that they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, I don't know what that, I don't, I don't think they knew what exactly that looked like because they said they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. I always like imagine like these Sunday school images of like a little tongue with like ah, fire on it, like coming down and like, does it look like that? I don't know. I don't even think they really knew what they saw because they said they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of the disciples. And then it said this, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard uh, them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not these men who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each one of us hears them in in our own native language? And then the next uh, four verses lists 20 languages, uh, Cretans, people from Mesopotamia, um, people from Egypt, etc., etc. Twenty languages are listed. And then chapter, verse 12 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? But, verse 13, some of them made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Um, and so this is the passage of the, the, the giving of the, bap- the first baptism of the Holy Spirit recorded. It's in Acts chapter 2, and you could read the whole thing later, and it's fascinating. It gives the, the tongues of fire, whatever that looked like, descended on the disciples. They all spoke in tongues, and then a miracle happened. And here's the question I have, which I don't have an answer for, by the way. Was it that each one of the disciples spoke in a language that they had not yet learned, and so the miracle was in the disciples' speaking a language that they did not know? Or, I just thought of this the other day, and I don't have an answer, or was the miracle in the people listening that they heard it in their own language? And so, I imagine like a a person from Egypt, a a Cretan, and a person that speaks Arabic all looking at, say, Peter, and Peter speaking a language, and all three of those people individually hear Peter speaking Arabic their own language. Was the miracle in the speaker or was the miracle in the hearer? I don't know. I just thought about that the other day. I was like, I don't know. I mean, obviously there was a miracle that had happened and I don't know where the miracle was as as far as the speaker or the hearer. Not sure. But that is the first example of the baptism. It's referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, when they receive uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So that's story number one. Um, And if you're trying to put an equation together, like, oh, how do I get the gifts of tongues? You would put an equation together like this. Oh, you have to be praying, and then all together at one place, and then what will look like tongues of fire will come and descend on you, and then you'll start speaking out loud, and then other people will hear you in native languages. That's kind of the equation for this Acts chapter 2. But we're going to bust that equation, because God works differently in other situations. For instance, Acts chapter 8. Here's another situation. Uh, Samaria. There's Christians that are found in Samaria. Uh, I'm kind of summarizing uh, chapter 8, by the way. So, so if you're taking notes, just write down chapter, Acts chapter 8, and you can look at it and read it, all, the whole thing through later. But Peter and John are sent to this area of Samaria because there's some believers there. Um, and it says that they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. So Peter and John go to the people in Samaria. It says they pray for them. It says they, Peter and John place their hands on these new believers. And then it says that they received the Holy Spirit. But then does it say they spoke in tongues? It doesn't say that here. You know what it says? It says that Simon the sorcerer, maybe some of you know this story, Simon the sorcerer, kind of like a bad guy, looks on and sees them receive the Holy Spirit. What does he see? We're not sure. Were they speaking in tongues? Were they prophesying? Were there miracles that happened? We're not sure what exactly happened, but this non-Christian Simon the sorcerer saw them and, and asked, uh, he saw that the Spirit was given with the laying on of hands, and then he offered Peter and John some money, saying, can I also have this power? And Peter and John uh, rebuke him. But something happened. We don't know what it was. And so here's an example. I know that some people may tell you that you, if you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to speak in tongues. And I would say, Acts chapter 8, it doesn't clearly say that people spoke in tongues after receiving the Holy Spirit. You could assume that they did. You can assume that they didn't. So I am under the impression that, once again, God does not work in formulas. If you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you may or may not speak in tongues. That's my, my way of saying it. 
Acts chapter 10 is the example of uh, Peter going to Cornelius' house. Pretty cool name. He goes to this Gentile's house, which is a pretty big deal because before that time, every Christian was coming from more of a Jewish line and Cornelius was a Gentile. So Peter goes into this Gentile's house. His name's Cornelius. He has uh, some other people there. And Peter is speaking about who Jesus is and how he came to save us. And while it says in Acts chapter 10, while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit, and it says, came upon them. And then it said, the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out And then it said, these people spoke in tongues and praised God. Pretty cool. So if you have this equation like, oh, to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have to have people lay hands on you and pray for you. Well, this, Acts chapter 10, blows that out of the water because it says that while Peter was just speaking truth about Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit came upon these people listening and they spoke in tongues and then it says they praised God. And then referring to that story, the next chapter, Acts chapter 11, Peter is talking about it. It was like, yeah, the weirdest thing happened the other day. I was just speaking and all these people spoke in tongues and then started praising God. And then Peter specifically reaccounts the story where he says, Jesus said uh, that he will baptize people with the Holy Spirit. So that's what that happened there. While, people were, while Peter was still speaking, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it does say that they, they spoke in tongues and then they praised God as well. So that's the, that's the other, other example. Uh, then the final one is Acts 19. <clears throat> Paul is, is rolling around the countryside. He goes to Ephesus. He finds some believers that are already living in Ephesus, some Christian believers. And Paul asks them, do you know about the Holy Spirit? And they say no. And so Paul places his hands on them. Maybe you've seen that before. I mean, it's not the weirdest thing. You just place your hands on somebody's shoulder as you're praying over them. Um, and so Paul places his hands on them, and then they spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. So here's evidence of this Holy Spirit coming upon them was speaking in tongues and prophesying. But at Cornelius' house, they were speaking in tongues and praising God. Um, Acts chapter 8, we just see the Holy Spirit come on them. We don't know that they spoke in tongues. And then throughout the book of Acts, there's actually more examples of people just coming to know who Jesus is and, and then getting water baptized or... Um, not, I mean, there's just no tongues or baptism of the Holy Spirit mentioned at all. And so, big idea here thing is um, there's no set equation for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Your story could be very different than someone else's story. I'm sure the people at Cornelius' house had a very different story than the people in Ephesus. The people at Ephesus might say, oh, if you want the Holy Spirit, you've got to have someone lay their hands on you and pray over you. But then they talk to somebody at the Cornelius' house, and they're like, what? You don't need that. Uh, I, was, I was just listening to Peter one day, and then I started speaking in tongues. There's no set equation for how God has to work. There's no set formula for God, how God has to work. Um, here's what I want to happen, just for a second, for like two minutes or so. Let's discuss. And, and not every one of you will be able to discuss. What I'm really calling on is for, for those of you that did raise your hands and spoke in tongues to, to be a little bold and maybe share with some people around you. Or, by the way, if you're, if you're by yourself, you don't have to feel like, oh, I need to go talk to somebody. You could just write down your own um, testimony of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But what I want you to share is very quickly, if, if you have any testimony with the baptism of the Holy Spirit or if you have any testimony with the gift of tongues, would you, would you be bold enough to share that with some people around you? And, and here's what I want to happen. That, that some of you at the same table will have polar, very different stories. And that's okay. Because the people in Acts had very different stories. And yet it was all included in this idea of they're getting baptized in the Holy Spirit and, and some of them spoke in tongues. Maybe some of them didn't, but that's their story. It's how God worked. God doesn't have to work in these formulas and equations. So would you do that for just a second? Uh, maybe a couple of you share at your tables or get together and just share very quickly. I mean, I'm kind of leaving it a little open-ended. Share either about the gift of tongues that you may or may not have or a, a baptism of the Holy Spirit that you may or may not have experienced. Ready? Get set. Don't be weird. Go. <laughs> And I think there is more eggs and sausage biscuits left, right? Yeah, I think there's some left if you're wanting to get some. Am I loud and clear? Or am I breaking up? Am 
give you another minute uh, to I know it's barely enough time to scratch the surface just one more minute though try to wrap up your story pretty quick um hopefully you heard my my point in that some of you may criticize that and say oh you know you really put us on the spot tried to embarrass us that's not at all my intention my intention is is to is for for those of to give an opportunity that to for those of you that have had a testimony with either tongues or the baptism of the holy spirit to share that because it's it's really God's testimony of what he did inside of you. And I know that uh, some of you don't have a testimony yet or or and really heard someone else speak and 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 heard something that oh I, I never heard it that it could be like that or like this before and that's perfectly okay. Um, once again the main point that God doesn't work in equations in formulas. And so I'm sure if I, I walked around and listened to some of your stories that they'd be very different from one another. That was kind of the point of that exercise. Um, I want to talk about, in your notes, uh, it says tongues, and then it has a, a Greek word next to the word tongues, and that Greek word is glossolalia. And what's really interesting about this Greek word glossolalia is that it's just as confusing as the word tongue in English. The word tongue in English can mean lots of different things. It can mean this thing, this thing right here, I'm hung out, it's off, it can mean this, right? I tell you, it's just your tongue. It could mean a language like English. I mean, there's nothing, I mean, I've been speaking English since, you know, I was a little baby, and I'm speaking English now. There's nothing spiritual about that. We, we talk about, oh, the tongue of English, or I don't speak the German tongue. It'd be weird to say it like that, but you could say it like that. Um, so it can mean the actual tongue. It can mean this tongue in the mouth. And just like in the Greek, <clears throat> glossolalia, this Greek word for tongue, is used for the tongue in your mouth, like when it, when it James James uh, chapter 3 that I'm memorizing with the incline club on Tuesday mornings. Anybody else in here? What? what? Um, anyways, oh, we're memorizing James chapter 3 as we do the incline. It's awesome. It's like the incline isn't hard enough. Let's measure, let's remember scripture too. Uh, we're memorizing James chapter 3, which uh, that says no man can tame the tongue. No man can tame the glossolalia. Or that's the, there's a different ending because it's Greek. But uh, so it could use, be used as the red thing in your mouth. It could be used as an actual language like Greek and Hebrew. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you three ways it's used in a spiritual way. So the word glossolalia, or in English when it says tongues, could refer to uh, one of these three things. I'm going to go over them quickly and then specifically each one. An actual language, 
like in Acts chapter 2, a speech needing interpretation for a group, like as Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, or a prayer language, which maybe some of you have heard of before. I'm going to talk about each one of those. First, it's used as, in Acts chapter 2, the word glossolalia is used in Acts chapter 2 when it says that um, the disciples spoke in tongues, and then each one of them heard them speaking in their own tongue, in their own language. That's, That's glossolalia, Right there. And so if someone says to you, um, oh, glossolalia, speaking in tongues, is only when someone speaks and then it's like if you've never learned Chinese, but you're speaking Chinese, have never learned it, and a Chinese person is listening to you like preach about Jesus. That's the only example of the gift of tongues. And to that, I'd say that's a example of the gift of tongues Clearly, in Acts chapter 2, that's what's going on right there. That's what that is. But let me show you some other examples of the gift of tongues that doesn't seem at all to be something similar to you're speaking a language in which you've never learned before. So Acts chapter 2 does have an example of an actual language is spoken to people that are not Christians and they're hearing them speak in their own languages. So that's Acts chapter 2. The next one is a speech needing interpretation for a group. And here's where Paul jumps all over the Corinthians. <clears throat> because here, I think well, here's what's happening in the book of Corinthians. There's these people there that um, are kind of trying to show off spiritually. Have you ever met a spiritual show off? I have. Sure, why not? I'm sure we've all, you know, maybe fallen guilty to trying to show off with our spiritual abilities, whatever. Um, I think in Corinth, People were getting together for a church service and then like one person would start speaking in tongues and then another person would like, oh, I'm going to try to outdo them and then speak in tongues louder and then someone else would join in. And so there's just like, you'd walk into a church service in ancient Corinth and it would just be like, what? What's going on here? This is, this is silly. This is silliness. In fact, in fact, Paul even says in verse, uh, in chapter 14 that, What if someone was to walk in on this? They would think you were all crazy. And uh, yeah. And so Paul says, uh, he says, why don't you do it one at a time? Uh, Chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians is is a lot of uh, directives about how the gift of tongues is to be used in a corporate setting. And he says things like this. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 6 says, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians. Now, brothers, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you unless I bring you revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? And then same chapter, 1 Corinthians fourteen nine says, So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking to the air. And then 1 Corinthians 14, 13. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. And so, this to me seems something very different than speaking an actual language without having ever learned it. This to me seems like it's a language that you don't know what you're saying. No one else knows what you're saying. What needs to happen is a spiritual interpretation of what was just said. And I've I've never actually given a a tongue or interpreted a tongue, Um, but I've been at a church where someone stood up and and spoke in tongues. It sounded like babble to everyone. And then someone else stood up and said, here's what he just said. He said, you know, know, it was was very general. It was like, praise be to God. God is here today. Um, And it was like, okay, that's cool. That that seems like the, the biblical directive that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, you know, one at a time, someone speaks in tongues, and then there should be a word of interpretation, or else no one knows what's going on, and no one knows what's being said. To me, that seems different. Does it seem different to you than that whole actual language thing in Acts chapter 2? One more. The, the final one at the bottom here, a prayer language. How many of you have ever heard the term prayer language? You've just heard of the term. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a term that, by the way, is not in the Bible. People often say, oh, you have a prayer language? Show me where that's at in the Bible. Show me the term prayer language in the Bible. And honestly, it's not in there. But I think from a couple verses, we can conclude that a prayer language is different than an actual language spoken to people that have never, like if you're speaking to a Chinese people, but you've never learned Chinese, and it's different than someone standing up in a group and, and speaking in a tongue and then 
uh, needing an interpretation. It's a prayer language. And so for that, I, I would look at a verse that, like 1 Corinthians 14, 14. And it says this, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And if you just read that, to me it says, I mean, who do you pray to if you're praying? Jesus, God. I mean, I'm not trying to trick you here. <laughs> For if I pray in a tongue, so someone is praying to God in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. To me, this verse says, is biblical antidote, biblical proof, that there is a such thing as a prayer language. Because to me, it looks like, okay, he's praying to God. It's different than speaking Chinese, never learning Chinese to a group of Chinese people. And it's different to me than someone standing up, speaking in a tongue, no one understands it, than someone stands up and says, I, I will interpret what he just says. This seems to me like a prayer language. I mean, that's, we've, we use that term. I know I personally use that term, prayer language. And 1 Corinthians fourteen fourteen. for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And then 1 Corinthians fourteen two. going back, for if anyone speaks in a tongue, uh, let's see, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. And then, you know, going back to the 14, he doesn't even know what he's praying when he prays in tongues. And so you can use a tongue to pray to God. And that's where a lot of Christians talk about a, a prayer language. They'll, you know, they'll say, oh, do you have your prayer language? Do you pray in tongues? And, um, and I think these two verses, as well as others, give enough proof that there is something called a prayer language, that the gift of tongues could be a prayer language. It could be something where someone stands up and corporately prays or just corporately speaks in a tongue and then someone interprets or the gift of tongues could be someone speaking in a language that they never learned to a group of people that they can't normally speak to and so going back to this bigger idea that this overview of things there's no set equation for how you get the gift of tongues you know some of you could say oh yeah I, I went forward at a church service and by the way you can do this today I can pray for you to receive the gift of tongues I could lay my hands on you uh, at the end of new life church service there's always people down at the down at the front that can pray for you to receive uh, a prayer language or to be baptized in the holy spirit and it can happen like that or it could happen when you're all by yourself. It can happen when someone's speaking, like in Cornelius' house. You know, Peter was just speaking, and they, you started speaking in tongues. Um, there's no set equation. That's a big point for today. There's no set equation for how you get the gift of tongues, and there's no set equation for what that has to look like. It, and, and it could look very different to different people. And so other people say, oh, well, my gift of tongues is only for when, when I'm talking you know, to my small group, we, we, you know, someone interprets it's like, okay, that's okay. But someone else talks about a prayer language that they're praying to God, like 1 Corinthians fourteen fourteen. Big point today, there's, there's no equations. Um, here's, 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 let me, let me leave you with these two last verses that especially, these are kind of for, for those of you that, that don't speak in tongues. I want to encourage you because 1 Corinthians 14, 1 says, follow the way of love, but eagerly desire spiritual gifts. There's a directive that Paul says, you know, desire them, want them. And then 1 Corinthians 14, I know we're reading, reading a lot from this chapter, 39 says, Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy and don't forbid the speaking in tongues. I think it's easy sometimes for, for people to say, you know what, tongues is weird. And honestly, it is. It's, it's a little weird. <laughs> and so it's easy to say, let's just forbid it. Let's just forbid it. And it doesn't happen here. It doesn't happen anywhere. Let's just forbid it. But Paul says, eagerly desire the gifts. Don't forbid the speaking in tongues. And I think he has to say it because it is. It's weird. And so it's easy to say, oh, we're, we're going to forbid it here. And, and it can look different in different people's. And some, so here's, a, here's another question people often ask. People will say, when you speak in tongues, does like a hyp hypnotic state come over you and you don't know what you're saying because you're like hypnotized and you don't even, you're not even sure what you're saying because you're like a hypnotic state? And to that question, I would say, maybe, maybe some, not, I've never had that happen personally to me, but that it, the gift of tongues could look like that because God doesn't, you know, God doesn't work, have to work in all these equations. For me, I would say, when I, when I speak in tongues, it, I have 100% uh, control over what I'm saying physically and audibly. 
And in my heart, something spiritually happened. So if you were watching me speak in tongues, it would, it would just be like, he's just babbling. He's like a baby that doesn't know what he's saying yet and just kind of babbling and making word, nonsense words. But spiritually, I would say, I'm, I'm connecting with God. I'm, I'm praying to God with these words of babble. And that's weird, but it's in the Bible. So don't forbid it and eagerly desire it. That's it. I got one story for you. There's this girl, uh, her name's Stephanie. She gave, uh, we actually videotaped her testimony a long time ago, and it was on the mill, like as a video testimony. And uh, she had been coming to the mill a couple months, and she had a lot of questions about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Aaron Stern gave her one of these old sermon series sets called uh, The Holy Who, kind of this play on the Holy Spirit, the Holy what, the Holy Who. Um, it's the Holy, is anybody around? I think I talked about this last time. Anybody around? It was like four or five years ago when Aaron spoke this sermon series on the Holy Spirit called the Holy Who. I think, by the way, I, I, I need to double check before I just say, say things like this, but I think you could still buy them at the New Life Church bookstore. And if you go over there and you don't have them, come to the mill sometime this week. We'll try to get you a copy. They're, they're, I think it's like five CDs, so it can't be very much money. But anyways, this girl, Stephanie, had a bunch of questions about the Holy Spirit. So Aaron gave her a, the sermon series set to borrow. And so she was listening to it in her car, <clears throat> commuting, I believe, to Denver. She's listening to the, the, the sermon uh, on uh, speaking in tongues, kind of the sermon that I gave today. And then at the end, Aaron's turn prays. You know, he says, you know, we're not going to do an altar call here at the mill. He says, we're just going to, wherever you're at, uh, just pray to receive it. Eagerly desire, and I'm going to pray over you and pray to receive uh, tongues and the, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so this prayer is recorded on the sermon series set. And so this girl, Stephanie, is on her way to Denver listening to the sermon, and she's just praying along, and she receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She receives her prayer language. That's pretty cool. I mean, talk about an equation buster. Like, this girl's driving in her car. This girl's listening to a prayer that had been prayed two years previous, and then she starts speaking in tongues all by herself. No one laid hands on her. No one even prayed over her. It was She was listening to a, a, a podcast that hadn't even been invented in the Bible times. Anyways... There's no set equation. That's, that's, I, I just want to get that out there and kind of let the air out of the room. Let the air just kind of, okay, there's no set equations. The gift of tongues can look differently for different people, and that's just the way it is. So let, let's pray today. Let's, let's be open to God's move in his spirit. And Father, we do pray to you right now, Jesus. We pray that we personally will be able to receive your gifts, that you will put inside of us this desire to know you more, to receive gifts that you want to give us. And God, I pray over each and every one of us that you will give us more gifts. We pray for more gifts. God, offer us more gifts. Allow us to eagerly desire them. And so God, I pray in the name of Jesus, if it's your will right now that anyone receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues right now, as I'm praying, God, that you will do that right now. And so Father, we praise you. We honor you. God, let there be stories and testimonies of what you've done in people's lives through the mill, the mill Sunday school, through your word and what you're teaching and what you're doing through us as college and 20-somethings. God, we are in awe of you. We love you so much, Jesus. We desire your gifts. We want your gifts. Holy Spirit, come to us now. Fill us up. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. We receive you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, you're officially dismissed. Go in peace. Get some more eggs on your way out.